2: or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services.
3: I'm Red Lewis, and this is NFL Inside Report. As we embark on Championship Sunday here in the NFL, we've got you ready with the NFC Championship Games. we talked to Jim Trotter on Wednesday now, the AFC championship game under the spotlight. And to do it, we welcome in two of the very best. My guys, James Palmer and Jeffrey Chidia here with us today on Inside Report. Fellas, great to be here with you. Let's start with essentially how the Chiefs got here, because it's one of the great stories and one of the great games that we've all ever seen. And the win over the Bills in the divisional round at Arrowhead. And let's fast forward to the final 13 seconds. And James, I want to start with you, because we had talked about this a little bit earlier in the season during the Chiefs' struggles. And you had brought up the fact, and Jeffrey, I know you've written about this too, that how the the Chiefs were really struggling with some of the communication and some of the freelancing that they're able to do within the offense, and it just wasn't clicking as much. Well, feels like those final 13 seconds, JP. Do it, Cals, do it.
4: If they play it like that, that scene is over. Do it, Kels, do it, do it, Kels.
3: Uh-huh. it worked. They got back to the magic.
1: Mahomes takes a snap on the near hash. Goes down the middle to Kelsey, 35, down to the 31. Final called by the Chiefs. Yeah, the funny part is everybody on the offense didn't know this was happening. Well, I'll put you in the shoes of Orlando Brown Jr., the left tackle. He's sitting there and he's hearing, do it, Kelsey, do it, Kelsey. He was thinking that Kelsey's going to chip next to him. That's what he thought. He had no clue that's what the two of them were talking about.
4: I just told him right before they called a timeout, uh, right before we, uh, we went out there and ran that play. Um, and I told him I'm probably not going to run the the route that, uh, that it's called. I'm just going to run to the open area and, uh, probably midway through his cadence, he was screaming at me at the line of scrimmage, do it, like <laughs> do it, do it. And I was just like, all right, here we go, boys. And it was just a little backyard football with, uh, with a couple of seconds left. They gave us an opportunity to, to win the game have to have a little more- or take the game into overtime. Excuse me.
1: And so that's how like this freelancing is operating. It's not like everybody's even included, but the best part about it I think really is you're right. We talked about how the freelancing was causing some issues earlier, and then it became now really back to being their staple. I think the point of it is Patrick was seeing things differently with the way defenses were playing. And then some of the freelancing they were doing was playing right into how defenses were taking some of these things away. And so I do think that it's, it's something that is talked about a lot here in Kansas city. It's not the only place that it happens. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just happening in the biggest moments uh, here in Kansas city. And I think that's why we're seeing it because of this kind of freelancing and Kelsey's talked about it with other tight ends, Jeff, like in other guys, you know, around the league. Um, I know CJ Uzama has talked a lot about his conversations with, with, with Kelsey about his, his chemistry with, with Patrick. And obviously that's something all those guys in Cincinnati are starting to build, but this is something that is, I don't want to say unique to the league. It's just unique in how they execute it. at such a high level when it's rolling.
5: Yeah, you saw Kelsey talk about that after the game where he just said this is the culmination of years of working on things together, both him and Patrick and and Tyreek
4: Hill in that mix as well. I can't even put it into words, man. Um, How much work we put in together and how much fun we have doing that and then to go out there and uh, put our entire uh, goals, dreams, aspirations out there and just bleed for every single person on this team and every single person in that stadium wearing red man that was uh, that was a fun experience I remember the 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 catch and then seeing Tyreek standing over me calling game and then seeing Pat running over me was I'll, I'll remember that uh for the rest of my life just understanding
5: how to handle different situations uh, rehearsing different responses to different situations I thought it was underrated how much they had had two plays in the uh, ready to go You know, (laughs) in a very difficult, very stressful position, 13 seconds to play. Obviously, you're not getting those plays to work unless the Bills cooperate. Um, But that also speaks to Kelsey's ability and Mahomes' ability to recognize the coverage they were seeing in that situation. Um, I I think Kelsey and and both Mahomes talked about, or actually we talked today about, or the other day, about just how much they were seeing too high looks in the beginning of the year. Now it's more too high with man coverage mixed in. Yeah.
1: We were seeing a little bit more man beforehand when he was young, and now we're seeing zones um, with man mixed in. Uh, this group here does everything, so you you can't go in and just go, all right, they're going to play shell and and go with it. They've got a bunch of shell coverages. They've got single safety middle coverage, a handful of zone ones, and a handful of man ones. But he, it was a matter of just sorting it out. He he did a nice job. You know, it's all part of the maturation process, making sure that. With the, with the offense, making sure that the um, offensive line's on the same page, the receivers are on the same page, and quarterbacks on the same page with all of them,
5: including the running back. Uh, they don't know what they're always going to get anymore, but they have seen so much different stuff over the last four years that they can handle just about anything
3: and by the way uh, just to echo uh, your points there about Orlando Brown not knowing what, Andrew Wiley, the right tackle I talked to this week as well was like yeah I just I had to make sure that Kelsey wasn't on my side cuz he <laughs> thought he thought that the chip might be coming too and that's mm-hmm. that's what everybody thought and then you know now we go back and we hear all the you know the mic'd up stuff with with Kelsey telling Tyreek Hill to do this and that on the first play that ends up getting them the you know the first chunk of yards
4: hey T T they might, they might man you up. They, I'm saying, go outside and come back in, like you're running a out, right outside. That way, when you come back in, I can get in the way. It truly is
3: amazing that that can happen in 13 seconds, um, and it's a testament to their chemistry together. But Jeff, how would you then characterize, you know, how far they've come from that stretch where they were three, you know, three and four after that loss to the Titans in Week Seven, rattled off eight in a row. And now, you know, come back in this great fashion to, you know, win an overtime against the Bills.
5: Well, it's been been night and day. And I'm sure James could, would say the same thing. You look at where they were first half of the year, and they were still trying to be the Chiefs of 2018, 2019, 2020, that could just go up and down the field, give you a 75-yard touchdown pass anytime they wanted to. And and there was a lot of recalibration within this offense (laughs) at midseason. And... I don't think it was – I think people don't understand how hard it was at some points for them to get to this place because at times it did look look like they were struggling with it, that Mahomes wasn't comfortable having to play take-what-they-give-you offense. But I I feel like – and I've watched him for the last four years, as has James – that was his best game. He's had a lot lot of great games in his career, a lot of big numbers. But in terms of managing an offense, making decisions – understanding when to use his legs he didn't throw a pass over 25 yards in the game where he had almost 400 yards passing and and that would have never happened uh even a year ago even eight games ago and so (laughs) i I think yeah it by by far it was his best game and and you're seeing the maturation of a quarterback in an offense as a result yeah i
1: I, jeff the three things that you said that, that jump out at me and i want to kind of break down a little bit one It was not easy, as Jeff said. Like I I was told by people in the building, this was a very difficult season for Tyreek Hill to learn how to play the position completely different. This is his lowest yards per catch average as a starter in his NFL career but he also broke the chief's record for most catches in a season <laughs> in this same year. He just had to learn to play it differently. And it was a struggle for him. And not to say like, you know, that, that makes him any different than any other receiver. If you're the fastest man on the planet, you want to go deep consistently and burn people. He had to play in space and he learned, be- you know, getting better to play guys across the middle and playing in space. The other aspect of, of Jeff saying like that might've been like, the best game of Mahomes. I think what he did in terms of taking what was given to him and what was that was the struggle early in the season. Yeah. I had a long talk with Kurt Warner about this, who loves just breaking down all of these guys. And he just said it was there. He just wouldn't take it over and over and over again. That's what makes Brady great to keep taking that that's that, that short route that somebody gives you. And what we saw in this game, he just, well, he's a leading rusher in the game. He goes, Well, I'll just take the run. I'll just take the run. Finally forces them to play a little bit of man. And knows that's where he can have the advantage with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill when they're in those situations. So the patience really, really showed, I think, in that game. That was the, the Those are the two things we saw from the struggles to now where we're seeing it all kind of clicking because everybody took some time to figure it out. And it was not easy on, on Tyreek Hill specifically.
3: And that's kind of interesting now as we switch over to the Bengals side of things, and we will get into the kind of the ins and outs of this matchup here in just a minute. But first for the Bengals coming off a win in which Joe Burrow did not throw a touchdown pass against the Tennessee Titans, knocking off the number one seed, uh, you know, got Joe Mixon going a little bit and had to rely on their defense, you know, to make some real plays in that game. But then you go back to when these two teams actually played against each other, Bengals and Chiefs, back in Week 17. Burrow throws for over 400. Jamar Chase goes for over 200. They were on fire, you know, through
5: the air. It's Joe. Wide open. It's Chase. Chase! There is no Chase. It's a touchdown.
1: Nobody's going to catch him in the open field. 69 yards to go with a 72-yarder in the first quarter.
3: Does this tell you, you know, Jeff, that the Bengals kind of like the chiefs now feel like they can win in a lot of different ways. And that might make them, you know, even more dangerous, even when the pass game wasn't clicking like it, like it had been for much of this season.
5: Yeah. They have a, an amazing comfort level with playing different styles of football that you don't see from young teams. And certainly not young quarterbacks that have this kind of weaponry around him. I saw them play in Denver a few weeks back. It was a 15-10 game. I can tell you I probably needed to drink like 18 cokes to stay awake. It was that <laughs> boring. You got of those a Mike game. and Ikes up there? Did you yeah, exactly. Like... I was going through everything I had, all the caffeine and sugar I could get my hands on. But uh, you saw the way their, their comfort with that. You saw their comfort with last week, 19-16, grind it out, getting your quarterback hit nine times. And, and they've been a slow starting team. Throughout most of this year, that's one of the big knocks on them. Early on, was that they just they tend to dig holes and they can't get that great offense going. So, yeah, I, I do believe you're right. There is a, a sense of whatever it takes to win, they will do. That's coach speak. A lot of players say that. Joe Burrows has said that many times over the course of this year. But but it's true with it, with this bunch. They they know they have different ways to go about it. They know that they can go up and down the field with a team like Kansas City. And I will tell you that that when they got in that game. It's huge to their confidence level because they were playing for something. Then They were playing for the AFC North. The Chiefs yeah. were playing for the number one seed, and they walked away with a win. And, and Joe Burrow was right when he says this is beyond a nice little underdog story. I'm tired of the underdog narrative, and we're a really, really good team. We're here to, we're here to make noise, and you know, teams are going to have to pay attention to us. We're, like I said, a really good team with really good players and coaches, and we're, we're coming for it all. This is a really good team that thinks they can win an AFC championship this week.
1: And and you look at the way you broke that down, Jeff, in a sense where they do dig these holes. That is, if anything, shows you this season what you can't do against the Chiefs, right? <laughs> usually you get behind to Kansas over. City, and then they become more aggressive as a defense. Then usually you change your play calling. Then usually they force another turnover, and it's game over. We didn't see that. I was at that game in Cincinnati. You, you didn't see any panic from Joe Burrow and that group at all because they realized... A lot like we've seen over the, with the Chiefs over the years, they can score like that. And and they can change the course of a game so quickly. That's how they're able to really, I think, have that calmness to them because they know at any given time, any given player on this team <laughs> can have an explosive play to help them out. And and the part with Joe Burrow getting sacked nine times, and I think there was another two with penalties that he got taken down on that so yeah. it could have almost been eleven. And he still completes almost 76% of his passes in that game. That's the shocking part, to not be rattled in your accuracy when you're hit that many times. I was thinking in my head going like, I don't know where else you think other than inside your head, but Chris Jones coming at you should be something that could really throw you off in the middle. But Jeffrey Simmons was just doing it a week ago, and it didn't throw him off. So, I mean, I think that that ability to be – very calm in those in those moments and not get rattled, no matter how many times he's hit is a definite advantage for the way Joe Burrow plays. Because we all think when young guys happen, and that happens to young guys, oh man, we're seeing ghosts. We're, we haven't seen it with Joe Burrow, and he even had a major injury with getting under pressure, yeah. and we still haven't seen it from him.
3: I think it's a great point and and look at about the nine sacks, I mean, it's just it's absolutely incredible that you could take that kind of beating and you know still win a game, um much mm-hmm. much less a playoff game. but it kind of just goes yeah. back to the story of Joe Burrow, right? It's like, you know enters a losing culture, um, but he's like, i'm I am not a loser. I am a winner, and that's what we're going to do. I mean, it's just like you. you may consider getting sacked nine times a losing effort, but we are not going to lose, and that's just that's just kind of what it's been. And
1: Red sounds like Stuart Smiley from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Yeah, good enough. enough, Doggone it, people!
3: Doggone it. Uh, All right, we're not throwing up the Tyreek Hill deuces to uh, to JP and Jeff here just yet. When we come back digging into this matchup and what that week 17 matchup really means for the chiefs who came up on the losing side of it. Now heading into the rematch here in the AFC championship game.
0: Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.
2: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years,
3: Back here on NFL Inside Report, getting set for the AFC Championship game between the Bengals and the Chiefs from Arrowhead Stadium as Kansas City gets set to host the AFC title game for an NFL record fourth consecutive year. James Palmer, Jeffrey Chedia, gracious enough to be back here with us on NFL Inside Report. And uh, James, I know you just popped off some Zooms with uh, some of the Chiefs players uh, here ahead of this game. So I want to start there with you on how the Chiefs are framing the discussion surrounding the Week 17 loss to the Bengals as they approach this rematch here in the AFC title game.
1: Well, we could start right on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I think we know Steve Spagmolo's, like, history with rematches, right? I think he's pretty good yeah, at coming around at the second time around and, and, and making making some noise, and I think... When you have a veteran defense, I, I think like in some of the key roles that the Chiefs have, I think the first time around against a young team, you learn a lot. And And they really were hit in the mouth in how they played. And there was definitely, Jeff, some calls that we were debating uh, in some specific moments of that game where we were kind of scratching our head a little bit. And, and I think obviously those type of mistakes, if you know Spags, is pro- are, are probably not going to happen a second time around. The, the big thing to me, is Tyron Matthew in the middle, and if he plays in this game.
5: Jackson in the pocket, going to the end zone, and to trying to and it's picked up by guess who? Matthew,
1: his second interception of the night, brings it back to the 14-yard line. And coming back to practice on Thursday, not out of the concussion protocol yet, but it's all pointing towards his availability on Sunday. Legereus needs said to me, like he, he tells me before every snap what's happened. And they didn't have that against Josh Allen and the Bills, and a guy that is, you know, that Chris Harris type, or they're just screaming pre-snap because they are so smart about what they see. The second time around, it's important to have that voice because everybody, right, Jeffery sees yeah. sees it the second time around. If you're one of those guys that's yelling to everybody as as a part of your secondary. When you've seen it for the second time, you almost have that advantage. So I, I do think his his ability to play in the middle in this game, I, I think, changes their defense because there were actual packages they couldn't use against Buffalo with him off the field.
5: Yeah, yeah. Frank Clark made that point after the game, the, the Buffalo game, just talking about just how vital uh, Matthew is, not just to the back end of the defense, but to the front end, to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen that times during the game where we kind of struggled, you know, um, where, whether it was pass rushing, getting, getting the stops when we needed them. Um, also, where where you see, um, you know, we gave up a few passes in the back end. Um, those are things where, you know, Tyron's there. He's able to help with the adjustments, help calm situations down and stuff like that, you know, where it may seem like, you know, things are kind of getting overhyped and stuff like that. Like, it, there's a different defense when he's not out there as far as communication, as far as how they blitz. That's really what his biggest value is these days. Yeah. Like, he, he's a much better blitzer, much better towards the line of scrimmage than he is on the back end covering people. Uh, but, I'll say this much. He was there. They played the first time. <laughs> they, they were all there. True. When he played the first time. And it didn't matter. You know, you know who wasn't there? And this is – do you
1: guys remember? I mean, I'm watching Orlando Brown Jr. just walk to the MRI room because they actually yeah. have an MRI at that stadium, which is very rare. But he goes out with a calf injury pregame. Then they lose Lucas Niang, their other their, their starting right tackle, to a season-ending knee injury. Joe Tooney just went from left guard to left tackle with no reps and held Trey Hendrickson in check. Like, yeah. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was clean in that game. I think we forget early on, they were just running the football up and down the field, Kansas City. And then they scored three points in the second half. That's the part where I don't know if that happens the second time around with this offense. But I think what I'm making is that offensive line now back to being full strength, I'm not sure how much pressure they get on Patrick Mahomes when you just watch this these last two teams come against him in... Yeah. Cam Hayward and TJ Watt, and then this Buffalo Bills defense, I, I I think they're shaping up to be able to do what they did in the early part of that Cincinnati game.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree too. I think that's that'll be an interesting thing to follow with with Orlando Brown back and with Andrew Wiley jumping in at right tackle. Maybe you just have Joe Tooney do it. Much he did a great team. job. Yeah, uh, good point. Uh, yeah, let's sure just kick, Brown. <laughs> kick Tooney. Kick Tooney out the left tackle. Um, Jeff, how you know, we're talking about this being the fourth consecutive AFC Championship game at Arrowhead. Uh, you live there in Kansas City. You go to a ton of these games. They've won two of those three preceding this one at Arrowhead. How big is it? Like, is it is it going to be that big? Big of an advantage for Kansas City to be playing there in front of the Chiefs fans?
5: Well, it's it's an advantage in the sense that they know the stage. They've yep. won on this stage. They've lost on this stage. So they, they, they've they seen both sides of it. Uh, yeah, here, the you, there's a lot of lore that involves the stadium, especially this week. People Jeez talking about Kingdom. teams coming in and melting down and not being able to handle the atmosphere. I'm just like, it's not that level. <laughs> it's loud, but it's not like people are going to come in here and be scared. I don't it's think the Bengals ah! are going to come in here. Right. <laughs> it's right. right. It's exactly the Wicked Witch of the West just showed up. Right. Right. Everybody's right. running. For their lives, I, I, it's not going to be that way. But And I think the Bengals, I said this on our air earlier this week, That the thing that makes them scary is they're too young to know to be scared. So that is a big thing they have going for them. And they have an attitude that Joe Burrow has given them. We're going to keep fighting through adversity. It's not going to be perfect every time. We're going to keep pushing through that. We're just going to keep getting better and better and better and stacking these games. Yep. That makes, them, that makes them believe that just as with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, no matter what they're up against, they can find a way to make plays and, and win games. So, yeah, will it be uh, a different atmosphere than what they, the Bengals have experienced? Yes. Uh, do the Chiefs have an advantage in having played in the last two Super Bowls? And, uh, yeah, that matters too. But I also feel like the Chiefs' defense is vulnerable right now. You take away... The Pittsburgh Steelers, who they've seen twice in the last six weeks, they've given up 28, 34, 36. Um, actually, yeah. a bad Broncos team gave them issues. On the bad right offensive right. yep. back on the ground. So, yeah. so there is, I think in, in years past, since Mahomes has been the quarterback, when teams have come in here, they've tended to be either poorly coached, see Bill O'Brien, the Houston Texans, <laughs> or or really sure. limited offensively, see Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, yeah. uh, Ryan Tannehill with the Tennessee Titans. And so right. this is a team coming in with some firepower. And as much as they will have to adjust to the stage, I do think they'll they be ready for it.
1: I just like to say, Brett, yeah, that James. I don't think that Arrowhead crowd affected Josh Allen at all. No. No, I don't think it did. <laughs> I, don't think so. I think he thrived yeah. on it. Like, I honestly, mean,
3: I think it, it built, you know, like he, he literally, like he was getting better
1: as the game was going yeah. on. I mean the only thing that stopped him was a coin toss. It really. Yeah. I, I, I I that's I really do believe that. The part that that is fascinating is we've still still yet to see Patrick Mahomes play a road playoff game. Yeah. And and again we're going to go this year without it. And and it's that's that's the part that I think as Jeff talks about the comfort level, it's like it, it's it's like routine for him now. Four years in a row, every game I'm going to play at Arrowhead, and then I'm going to head you know towards the Super Bowl. I think that's the part that uh, that kind of I don't want to say gives any sort of advantage. There's just a comfort that Jeff was talking about. I think yeah. that the Chiefs have that that is there, but I, I don't think that's going to matter as much because Joe Burrow played in the SEC guys. That is a big talking point here in Kansas City, isn't it, Jeff? Oh, no, it it, yeah. He's poopy. He's with Arrowhead. And that is getting so blown out of proportion um, uh, in terms of everything here in Kansas City uh, about what Burrow had to say. But I, I, I just think the point that he was making is I don't really care. And I do yeah. think that part is accurate.
3: Yeah. I, I would agree, and we'll get out of here on this, and and finish it here with Burrow, um, because you know we we've, we've all talked about the edge that he has, the competitive edge that he has, and how it drives this team, and how it changed this team's culture. Um, and you know, go back to the whole, you know, you might be losing, but I'm a winner, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing, and it, because it's real, and because we've seen it manifest itself in reality, um multiple times at LSU, and then now in Cincinnati, and so this is the biggest spotlight that any of these guys have ever played in in Cincinnati you know for the most part so even if Joe Burrow is ready and if he has been the guiding light for this team James uh, for this whole season and since they drafted him does that in turn mean that the Bengals as a team are ready considering the way that he has brought them along you know himself and made them better around him
1: well I think it's similar to what you see with these other top quarterbacks he's going to make sure that they believe they are I, I don't know if they actually are, That's but it. I think they're going to come in thinking that they are. And I think we're going to find out within the game. I don't think they're going to come into the game scared by any means because yeah. I do think he brings that to them. But Jeff, I do believe that there could be a moment within the game where there could be players thinking, okay, this is the Chiefs. I don't think yeah. we're stopping them and, and we have to do something. I do think those might come about, but I do think he gives you that belief that, that you're going you're gonna to come in and do this. I just think... I'm looking at this game and I'm curious as we finish this up, like if you're not Cincinnati, uh, LA or Kansas city
5: Buffalo, how,
1: or, or Buffalo, how do you feel like you're going to get to the, the AFC title game? No. Uh, do you think Jeff, like, Jeff, what are your chances <laughs> are? Well,
3: I mean, Josh Allen's and Justin Herberts and Joe Burrows don't grow on trees as much as we no. might like to say, like if you don't have one of those guys, you got to go get one. Like, uh, well, it's easier said than done.
5: Yeah. Well, and let's not I'll put the Ravens in there too, because they had a pretty sure good roster are. until yeah. they got beaten up and the quarterback's pretty good too. But but you're right. There is a um a new wave of quarterbacks coming in and, and I live in Kansas City. James has seen this happen before. For the last three, four years, Patrick Mahomes has taken on iconic status, godlike status, and people have acted like he's not gonna have any challenge from anybody over the next decade. He has like, a good God. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. what I always say, you go back to any decade in the last 40 years, you're going to find five or six Hall of Fame quarterbacks who are going to, you know, play at a high level, win MVPs, win championships. You know, you go to the eighties, it wasn't just Joe Montana. There was John Elway. There was Dan Marino. There was Jim Kelly. You go to the nineties, you had Troy Aikman and Brett Favre and Kurt Warren. Payman. So there's always going to be others come along. And so for me, that's the exciting part. This is the year when you're finally seeing those guys come along. And they're doing the same thing Patrick Mahomes was doing when he came to Kansas City. They are they are mm-hmm. showing up. They are taking control of their teams. They are infusing those teams with a certain level of personality and attitude. We tend to forget now that Patrick Mahomes was the guy keep trying to keep spirits up in the Super Bowl right. when they before yeah. they ran the Wasp play. You know, yep, right. yeah, He was the guy having to do that kind of stuff. And so you don't see these guys coming until they're here. But trust me, the Joe Burroughs, the Josh Allens, the, John, the Justin Herberts—they're here to stay. Mm-hmm.
3: All right, guys. Jeffrey Chidia, James Palmer, appreciate you and and uh, all of your insight here as we get set for the AFC Championship game. Thanks, fellas.
0: Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G Advanced Network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.
2: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services.
6: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious.
3: And that's going to do it for this episode of NFL Inside Report. Reminder to subscribe, rate, and review our show on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. We greatly appreciate it. We're back with you following the championship games this weekend. And as we look ahead to the Super Bowl, for producers Thomas Warren and Tim Parachka, I'm your host, Brett Lewis. We'll catch you next time. NFL Inside Report is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more official podcasts from the NFL, visit the iHeartRadio app,
6: But if life changes, you can return it time or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands.
3: Approval not guaranteed, restrictions apply. See store for details.
1: Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander.